0: decided to make my life verse larger than anybody else's me, being the competitive person that I am. Uh, this actually, very uh, excitingly, this like, my life verse, I actually got this off of my daughter's mantle, uh, which was very exciting when I decided to choose this. Brittany said, wow, Dad, I've got that hanging on my mantle, which was, was very exciting. So really, my life verse comes from the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 24, verse 15. And if, <clears throat> if, it, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods uh, of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. And then it concludes to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, the reason why I chose this as my my life verse, because there are many times, I don't know about you, uh, but I have a lot of questions about my Christianity, about my faith. And to be quite honest with you, uh, there's a lot of times I have doubts. There's a lot of times the pastor will say things. I'll scratch my head and say, really, is that really? And there's just a lot of times in my life that I have ups and downs with my relationship with God. And to be quite honest with you, there's times that I even question if God really loves me and do I really love God. And most of those times when I'm at those, when at those time at those times when I'm doubting and questioning is times that I've stepped away from God's word. Uh, I share a lot with my small group. I don't like breaks during small group a lot because that's the time that I'm usually in those pits because I get away from God's word. But I do believe as Joshua did that, that your relationship with God is a choice that you make and it's not a feeling. So a lot of times, and so there's two aspects of this verse, one of them being that choice that for me, there's just a lot of times in my life that I have got to say, as for me, I will serve the Lord because there's just a lot of times, to be quite honest with you, that I just question it. You know, there's another aspect of this verse, too, that really speaks to me, and one that I that I hold true to and I try to hold true to, is Joshua didn't stop with me. He continued to say, as for me and my house. Uh, I do believe <clears throat> that God is very, very clear in his word that I, as the father, as the husband, as the leader of my house, that I have a responsibility to be the spiritual leader of that house. Uh... Again, that goes back to choice. Uh, sometimes I don't feel like it. My wife just does a wonderful, wonderful job. She's very spiritual, but she, she helps me to lead me, but it is my responsibility not to let go of that, but to say, just like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, so a lot of times there are opportunities for people to come into my house who doesn't look like the rest of the world, There are people who, we've had opportunities for people to come into my house that basically aren't from this part of the world. And God has blessed me very, very much when I have took back and I have got away from my feelings and got away from what I want to do and I have said, as for me and my house, we will serve the
1: Lord.
2: And my verse is one that you've heard a lot too, and it is, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven through uh, 14. And it's uh, for, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a wholesome, wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. When you will call on me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you to a place from which I have sent you into exile. Uh, in this verse, you hear it a lot. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And, uh, and I always believe that God does have the plans for us. And he knows the plans uh, for us. But when you look at this verse and, and when you go back, um, Israelites was in exile. And, um, and a lot of times I find myself in exile, and that's just out of God's will, doing my own thing. I know um, I say, a lot of times I say, God, this is what I want to do. Please bless me. <laughs> you know. And I don't look and say, God, what is your plans that you have for me? Um, and, but when the times that I feel that my life is in a whirlwind, And just totally out of control. I go back and look at the verse because when you most people when they recite that verse they stop at uh, verse eleven. But when you go on, it says you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And um, but but before that, it says that you need to call on him, you need to come to him, and you need to pray. And uh, a lot of times we. Do our plans, and then we call and come and pray. And, um, and then when it says to seek me, I don't think that means to halfway look. It means to know the Lord, to get into the Word, um, spend time with Him. And, um, and then it says, you will be found. Um, you will find me, and then I will gather you back to me.
1: It happens to be your first... Uh... Sunday visit with us. We're doing a series that, uh, that I've called Life Verses, and the thought is, and the reason we're having uh, some of our uh, church members come up uh, from our leadership team or staff and their spouse and, and share uh, what is uh, an important verse or a passage of Scripture to them is to kind of communicate to us that, that the Bible is important enough. We need to let it direct our lives. It needs to sink in. It needs to affect us. Uh in, uh, in, in, in ways. Uh, and of course today is, uh, Lynn and Angie's, uh, Sunday. So we're going to be looking at their, uh, verses and going with Lynn's first. I think up till today it's been ladies first, uh, every week. But, uh, today I switched that and you'll kind of see why because it's logical the way these scriptures, uh, go together as to why I swip, uh, switched them around. Uh, so as we think about, uh, Lynn's verse, uh, over in, in Joshua, um, what I have titled that verse is, is simply this: to make a to make a choice uh, in Joshua chapter 24 in verse 15. That's more or less what uh, Joshua is calling on the nation of Israel to do. Now, before I actually read the verse, to give you a little bit of background to, uh, to, to what's taken place, uh, in, in Joshua and in the life of the nation of Israel, of course, God has sent Moses into, into Egypt to lead, uh, Israel out of that captivity. They'd kind of gone into Egypt as a family and, and God so blessed them during the time they're there. They come out as a nation, uh, as, as God brings them out. And uh, Moses uh, leads them through. So through uh, a lot of the plagues and the the miracles and things like that that took place in Egypt, uh, God causes Pharaoh to let them go. They are led out by Moses. Uh, If you remember the the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea that the liberals want to call it, but the Red Sea uh, literally separated and they went across on dry land. And then when here comes the Egyptians and their chariots and God drowned them in the middle of the sea, And uh, then they get a few days out in the desert. They're ready to turn around and come back in just a little while want to go back to Egypt and uh, even make a golden calf and things like that. And God has to judge them uh, from time to time. But he guides them and he leads them uh, through the promised land. They could have gone in earlier than they did, but because of the lack of faith, they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, God continues to care for them, provide for them, bless them until there comes a time that... Moses is dead. God buries him because he hit the rock that's a type of Jesus more than once. And that's why it was wrong. Jesus will only be smitten once. hope you realize that. He's gone to the cross once. When he comes back, he's coming to take over and take charge uh, next time around. So that's why Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Joshua is chosen to lead them. They cross another body of water, the Jordan River on dry land, by the way, and then they go in and uh, go around this large city of Jericho and uh, follow God's instructions and march around at the times God had told them to, and then on that last day they march around seven times and God says whenever they uh, blow the trumpets you shout out and the walls literally fell down. By the way, several years ago, archaeologists found uh, a city there that they think probably was the walls of Jericho. Strange thing, the walls fell from the inside out. I don't know that that happens very often. Most of the time, an invading army knocks the walls from the outside in, but this one, the walls fell from the inside outward because God just made the walls fall to where they could go in and take possession of the land. And then they win victory after victory after victory, and God gives them the promised land that uh, that he said that they would would have. Uh, A lot of activity that takes place in the book of Joshua. To help understand why Joshua says what he does, to see kind of a quick outline uh, of the book of Joshua, or not the book of Joshua, but of Joshua 24, uh, might help. In in Joshua 24, the the chapter that the the lens verse comes from today, uh, in verse 1 through 13, it talks about Israel's uh, past God-given blessings uh, and somehow that's not formatted like I had it. I think it must have changed over in the change from my computer to this one. Uh, but actually, the number two, uh, three, four, and five ought to be bulleted items, and down, number six ought to be a number two. But anyway, um, God chose them. If you want to think about the God-given blessings, God chose Israel. Uh, He sent Abraham, called Abraham, out of a heathen land, and from Abraham started building this nation of Israel. God delivered Israel uh, through Joseph and also through Moses. Uh, God guided Israel, and you see that in the wilderness wanderings. God gave Israel the promised land, and that brings us to the part that Lynn's verse comes from in chapter 24, and that is in light of God's blessings that he had given them, the past blessings of God, Israel had a present godly responsibility to serve God. The the application of that for us is this, guys. God loved us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. In a lot of all the past blessings that God has given us, you and I also are under a present responsibility to serve God. That's why Joshua issues this challenge to them. He's telling them, listen, you need to You need to make a choice. You need to decide once and for all. You need to decide to serve God. You need to make a choice to be devoted to God. On the other side of all the battles, the victories, everything that God had done for them. He said it's time for you to make this choice. And then he challenges them with these words. In verse 15 that Lynn read a moment ago. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, that very well it could have been a verse that I chose, Becky and myself will be uh, kind of closer to the end of the month that we will share uh, our our verses with you, but that could have almost been one uh, that that I chose. The house that Becky and I live in, when we were house shopping about probably 11 going on 12 years ago uh, now, when we went and looked at this house, the previous owners uh, of the house had put a plaque beside the front door, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. Uh, it, it's very very, I think, important verse. And like I said, the application for us ought to be because of everything that God has done for us, our God-given blessings. We also need to make a choice. We've got a responsibility towards God. Start with, I want you to think about making a decision, how we need to make a decision. That's what Joshua is calling them to. The first part of verse 15 says, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, Choose to whom you'll serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He, he's saying you need to make a decision, and he really challenges them a couple of ways about this decision. I think, first of all, he's saying you need to decide whether or not you dislike serving God. You, you need to look at what God's done. You need to kind of look at your own life. You need to decide if you're going to serve God or not. You need to decide if you're going to dislike serving God. That's why he said, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose the study whom you'll serve. Now, there's a lot of word studies done, and I won't read all of them, but just to be sure you kind of understand everything that's being said. He said if, it, if it's evil, if it's bad, if you think it's morally wrong, could be the way you could uh, interpret it. But also you could say this, if it causes you adversity to serve God, Can I tell you something up front? Serving God will cause you some adversity. You might as well decide up front. Serving God will lead you into some problems and some adversity in your life. You may face affliction, calamity. It might cause some displeasure in your life. Hey, there's a lot of times in my life I kind of think, you know what? I'd like to do this. But then I have to go and read the scriptures. And God said, don't do it. You know. So even following God can, in a way, cause some displeasure to our lives, or distress to our lives. He, he said, if it's evil in, in your eyes, and that's just talking about you know, the, your, your viewpoint, but I, I kind of like what the word means there. It's like the fountain of the body uh, or the eye of the landscape. In other words, if you look out on the landscape of serving God, you need to decide if that's what you're going to do or not. You need to decide whether or not you're going to serve him, whether you think it's right for you to do that for your life whether you're going to be in bondage to him, serve him, work for him, be, be enslaved, be a bondman, whether you going to be a worshiper of, of the Lord. And it's the word Jehovah here. So he's talking about the self-existent eternal God, the one that's always existed, the one that spoke everything into creation, the one that will always exist. That's the God that he's talking about. You see, you need to choose. You need to try it out in your mind. You need to select. You need to decide if it's acceptable or not. You need to appoint yourself toward this. You need to decide if it's going to be excellent. You need to join yourself. You need to decide if you're going to serve the Lord. If you're going to be someone that joins yourself to Him and makes a decision that you are going to serve him in your own eyes if you don't like serving god he's more or less saying you need to decide one way or the other and stick with it now i'll say something in a moment but i want to throw it in here be sure you listen and get this he's not trying to encourage them all right well you know if you don't want to serve god it's okay go serve these other guys that's not what he's saying He's challenging them in light of all that God has done. That's why I went over the outline a moment ago for chapter 24. But but because before he says this, earlier in chapter 24, he's saying, hey, God did this, God did that, God did this, God did that, God did this. In light of everything that God's done here, you need to make a choice. You need to decide whether or not you're going to enslave yourself to God or you're going to enslave yourself to something else. That's really what it boils down to. Are you going to be God's servant, enslave yourself, join yourself to him? Or are you going to join yourself to something else? So he says, decide if you dislike serving God. But he also, I think, tells us this. We need to decide if God is worthy to serve. Because he said, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. The, the gods your fathers served, the theologians have different ideas uh, about this. Some want to go, because it talks about beyond the river, and that can also mean a sea, uh, even a flood. And some want to go even beyond the flood in the time of Noah and say, all right, you know, we've got some history about what they were doing and what it caused the flood taking place. Is that the kind of gods that you want to serve? Most theologians believe it's pointing on the other side of the Red Sea, when your forefathers were there in Egypt, when they were there under the influence of, of, of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped, is that the kind of gods that you want to serve? Or the gods of the Amorites, the ones who lived in this area that now you dwell in, is, is that you want to serve the gods that they used to serve? In other words, which ones are really worthy to attach yourself to. Which ones are you really going to serve? It's like he's saying, decide. You need to decide if the gods that your fathers served back in Egypt. Now, now stop for a moment and think about that. It's Joshua's saying, do you think you ought to serve the gods that were back in Egypt? Remember something, though, about those gods. (laughs) Our God, the real God sent Moses in and made a show of the strongest nation on the face of the earth as far as we know historically in that day and time. He went in and threw his staff down and it became a serpent. And the magicians thought, oh, we can do that trickery and they threw theirs down. Problem is, Moses' snake staff ate theirs. They had gods that they worship. And if you'll take time to study it out, we don't have time to do that in detail today, but if you'll take time to study that out, all the plagues that God brings against Egypt fly in the face of, quote, gods that they worshiped in Egypt. It's like each one was, you know, making, an, making a show of their gods. So Joshua was saying, decide who you're going to serve. You want to serve the ones that your forefathers served back in Egypt? Because if so, you need to remember something. Our God made sport of them. <laughs> made a show of them. They, they're not really gods. Or he, he said, you need to decide this. Decide if you want to serve the gods, the heathen nations worship that you encountered in the wilderness. And it's as though, <laughs> I think if you read between the lines of what Joshua was saying, he's saying, you know, you remember Those gods that couldn't protect those people that we overran in the wilderness. Those gods that they worshipped, those false gods that could not protect their cities. Our God brought us in and gave us those cities. Is that the kind of God you want to serve? The one that could not protect those cities? Or do you want to serve... The God of the Amorites, the the God of these people in Canaan, the, the gods that the people used to worship here right in the promised land, the place that you dwell now, which means, by the way, the gods that they worshiped could not keep you from coming in and it becoming your land. Because our God promised it to you. And now you dwell here where the Amorites used to live. It used to be their land. Now God has given it to you. So it's like he's kind of saying, you make a choice. Which God is the one that's really worth serving? Think about what those false gods fail to do. Think about what our God did for you. And you need to decide. You need to make a, a choice Who's worthy of your devotion? Joshua, I think, is making it clear that the people of Israel needed to make a decision in light of all that God had done for them. A once and for all decision. No neutrality. No straddling the fence. You see, that's where we get in trouble, isn't it? In my own life, hey, when you start straddling the fence spiritually, that's where trouble comes, amen? If you start vacillating back between decisions and choices, whether you're going to really serve God or go along with the things of the world, that's when trouble comes in. Joshua is not encouraging them, as I said a moment ago, to say, well, serve God if you want to. If not, it's okay to go serve these other gods. That's not what he's saying. He's really challenging them and letting them know once and for all, you need to decide. Once and for all, you need to make a choice who you're going to serve, and you need to understand something. It doesn't work trying to serve two gods. It doesn't work trying to ride the fence between one choice and the other. See, Joshua had past experience with the people of Israel. I've already said a moment ago, remember, they were just a few days out of Egypt, and they started complaining about what they had to eat. And and they thought, well, we just need need to go back. Even while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, Someone said, well, you know, he's forgot us. He's just brought us out here to starve. So let's make this golden calf. And everyone donated their jewelry and they made a golden calf. Because Aaron said, I don't know how it happened. We just, you know, threw the gold in the fire and poof. Out comes this golden calf. That's about like we make excuses, isn't it, for golden calves in our lives? And they were ready to march back to Egypt because they remember the food that was in there, the melons and the leeks and the stuff like that. They're ready to go back. He knew how quickly the children of Israel could change their mind. He knew how prone they were to being incurably religious. And that's not just a problem that... Israel had or the Jews had down through the years, we've got that same problem in our culture still yet today. Mankind's really prone to being religious instead of being right with God through faith in Christ. He knew how they could worship something and would worship something. And Joshua's saying, you need to decide this day who you're going to serve because he knew that if they did not sell out lock, stock, and barrel to follow God, here they would start Intermarrying as they did, and they would start worshiping the false gods of Canaan as they did, and it would lead them into a bunch of trouble. And when we get to Angie's passage of scripture in Jeremiah, that's exactly what happened. They were even carried off into captivity because of it, because they made the wrong choice. He understood that because they were incurably religious, they needed to decide what they were going to do, because they couldn't serve both. Jesus says something pretty similar to this in Matthew 6, 24. He said, you can't serve two masters, for either you'll hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in in money. There are similar challenges that are made in, in the Bible that Joshua, like the one that Joshua makes. Samuel, for instance, made some challenges to the children of Israel. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth and they serve the Lord only. He, he said, hey, you need to make up your mind who you're going to serve. He also said this, In chapter 12, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if you, if both you and your king, who reigns over you, will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. He's challenging them. You need to decide once and for all. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Kind of sound like something that we saw out of Jeremiah a moment ago that we'll look at here in a moment. For consider what great things he's done for you. But that's the same thing that, that Joshua is doing. He's telling the nation of Israel, think about all the great things God has done, and you need to decide once and for all to follow him. But if you still do wickedly, you should be swept away, both you and your, your king. Another example of such a challenge is also found in 1 Kings and Elijah comes all the people on top of Mount Carmel when they had the big showdown up there with the false gods. And he said, how long? He looks at the the Israelites. He looks at them and says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And all the people did not answer him a word because they knew they were guilty and they were kind of scared to say anything. Elijah extends that same type of challenge you need to decide once and for all in light of all that God's done for you to serve Him. We need to make a decision, but we also need to set an example. Set an example. Because the last part of Liam's verse says, but as for me and my house, we will will serve the Lord. He said, me and and my house literally means family. We're going to serve. We're going to... We're going to work in any sense. We're going to serve. We're going to labor. We're going to till the ground, what the word means. We're going to be enslaved to. We're going to be in bondage to like a bond man. We're going to be compelled. We're going to be worshipers. Me and my house, that's what we're going to do. We're going to serve the self-existent, eternal God of all the universe. Joshua, in no uncertain terms, communicated a challenge to the people of Israel that in light of what God's done for you, you need to decide that you're going to serve him. And then he does this. He says, by the way, I'm going to set an example. I've told you, you need to decide who you're going to follow. Joshua says, I'm going to be an example of it. As far as me and my house, here's what we're going to do. Don't care what the rest of you do. Don't care what the rest of the world does. I don't care what anyone else says. He said, as far as me and my house, here's what we're going to do we're going to serve the Lord. He established that as an example coming forth from his, from his life. When the former generation on Mount Sinai met and they heard the Ten Commandments and Moses extended a challenge to them, they, they said, oh oh, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going, we're going to serve God. He said, I, I don't really think that's the answer God was looking for at that time necessarily. I really kind of feel like in light of what the rest of the Bible tells us, the New Testament, that no one's saved by obeying the Ten Commandments, the commandment, the law was only given to show us how far short we fall, how sinful we are. If you break any one point of it, you're guilty of all of it. I really kind of feel like when Moses read it out there to them that that he was maybe expecting and hoping that the people would do this. Oh God, we can't keep all that. We we can't even tell a (laughs) lie. We can't covet. There's no way we can do that. You see, there's no way we can completely obey the law. Why? That's why we need mercy. That's why we need grace. But but the children of Israel were like self-confident that they could do it. So Joshua knew that that was kind of in their fiber of their being, the the way that they operated. And he knew it was really easy for the people to promise obedience, but it's quite something else to really follow through with what you say. And when Joshua makes a statement, that's for me and my house in verse 15, we're going to serve the Lord. When you look a little bit later on in the passage in this chapter in verse 18, here's the way the people responded to Joshua's challenge. Therefore, we also... Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now, we don't have time because we've got another passage to go to to read all the scriptures. But if you'll take time and read it later, you'll discover that instead of Joshua saying, Thank God you're on my side. Thank God you're on God's side. Thank God that's what you're going to do. Instead, you know what he does? (laughs) He says, Oh, you can't do it. He says, you're not going to be able to do it. And he gives them some very stern words back. And I don't think necessarily he was intending on just shooting them down. I think he was trying to correct their overconfidence in themselves. Saying that that's what we're going to do. We'll do it. And Joshua is saying, no, you, you, you probably really won't. He's trying to correct their self-consciousness or their their self confidence get them to honestly look at their hearts and their actions. But Joshua says I'm going to be an example. We still need that example. We need that example in our homes, we need that example in our families. If you know in the name of Jesus, it shouldn't be something that you just go to church every now and then or even every Sunday, and that's when your Christianity really shows forth. There's a lost and dying world around you. There's a home that you live in. There's a place where you work. And people need to understand that you have said, as, me, as far as me and my family goes, we're going to serve the Lord. We, we need that kind of example still set in our culture. I had the chance to see it on a level you don't necessarily expect on Friday. Uh, most of you know that I serve as a chaplain with the Patriot Guard. I've not had a chance to do a Patriot Guard event because of my schedule, probably in six months or better. But I found out that they were doing something they did last year that was a Navy SEAL swim uh, down at, at Lake Norman. And, uh, and I thought, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and go to that. And they're doing it to raise funds to try and help uh, soldiers that come back with... Uh, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome from war. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this figure or not, but 22 soldiers a day commit suicide and take their lives. And uh, they were doing this swim as a way to raise money and support for them. And there's three former Navy SEALs that were there. Navy SEALs, I don't know if you know this or not, but Navy SEALs are bad dudes. You understand that? I mean, they send a few of men, and, and the few of them will go in, and they'll take out a whole bunch of people. They are bad dudes. And I had the chance when I was there to see a different side of them, to see their faith. And I'm talking about faith in Jesus. And I thought, how much we need that example in our culture, how much we need that example in our government. How much we need that example today? We, there's, there's too much at stake, guys. The, the, the only ones that had the chance of making such a statement and making such a stand and setting such an example, guess what? We're it, Christians. I'm not talking about just this church, but Christians, we're it. And if we don't go out and set an example before the lost world, what kind of example do you think they are going to see? Angie's scriptures, Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse 13 was technically her verse, but in order for you to understand the context of it, we need to look at more than that. It started in verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We're not careful. Some people will lift that out of context and turn that into a health and wealth mentality. That's not what's going on there. He says, Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from whence I sent you into exile. I've been amazed um, every week since we've been doing these life verses how much, when, when I get to studying and looking at it, how much the verse that the, that the husband and the wife have chosen, how much they have related to each other, the scriptures. And, and today is just the same. Because in Joshua, he's calling them to make a choice. In Jeremiah, he's saying, God has a choice for you. God has a plan for you. In Joshua, he's, he's telling them, you need to decide once and for all. Because he knew if they didn't, and if they didn't decide to really follow God, that they would start worshiping the false gods of the Canaanites. And that's why he warned them and he called them to decide to serve God. And when he said, hey, you're not going to be able to do it, you know what? He knew what he was talking about because they didn't do it. In Jeremiah's day and time, they're in exile because of worshiping idols. Because they failed To follow God. Because they failed to make it a principle as far as me and my house. Making the choices and the steps within their own homes to be sure that God was first. Because they failed to do that, they wound up in exile eventually. The background is Jeremiah 29. uh, It's really a letter that he writes to the leader's. Of Jerusalem who'd been carried away as captives to Babylon. There were some false prophets who were saying messages that were not from God. And they were saying, well, you know, don't settle down too much here, get ready to go back. We're going back to Jerusalem really quick. Problem was that was not God's message. God's message came through Jeremiah and Jeremiah said, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. We're not going back very quick. Matter of fact, after 70 years, God promises he will come back and visit us after 70 years. He said, in the meantime, what you need to do is go ahead and build houses and establish homes and give in marriage and have families. And then he calls them to do this. He says, you need to be a blessing to the city that you're living in, which was Babylon who had come and taken them into captivity. He said, you need to be a blessing here because as you are a blessing to Babylon, you yourself will be blessed. And that's a message, really, for us in our culture. Can you imagine being told to be a blessing to the people that that carried you off into captivity? They came in and destroyed your houses and your temple, and they carried you off to captivity. And God says, Now be a blessing to those people in this city. But God, how dare you tell me that? Don't you remember what they did to me? We live in a culture that is becoming increasingly, increasingly, increasingly anti Christian. And it's real easy for us just want to wash our hands of it and come in here and hang out and wait for Jesus to come back, which the truth of the matter is exactly the opposite. God wants you and I to be a blessing in the culture that we live in. Because it is as we stand for Jesus and live Jesus and love people like Jesus would in the culture that we live in, we can also be blessed and affect a change in this nation and in our communities. The real message was, hey, it's going to be a while before you get to go back. These exiles had lost everything but their lives and maybe what few possessions they could carry to Babylon. They had lost their freedom and now they're captives. They were taken away from their homes. They had lost their means of making a living. They were separated from friends and relatives, some of whom perished and died on the long march from Jerusalem to Babylon. And it looked like to them that they might've been without hope. It looked like to them since God had allowed them to be carried into captivity, that maybe God was really mad at them and God had forsaken them, and God didn't care anymore. And it's to those people who needed a word from hope, a word of hope, that Jeremiah tells them, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. It had been hard for them to see it, hard for them to imagine because of where they were and what had happened to them. Like I said, they probably thought, God don't care anymore. God doesn't love us anymore. Look what's happened to us. And Jeremiah, God's prophet, writes to them and says, God knows where you are. And you're going to be here a while. But God has a plan for your life. Even in the midst of the circumstances you're facing, Jeremiah writes to them, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a, a future and a hope. He had a plan for Israel, even though they were in exile at the time Jeremiah writes to them. He says, I want you to know something. I want you to discern it by actually seeing it. That's how clearly I want you to know something. God has a plan for you. interesting word that he uses here for plan in, in the Hebrew. It talked about a contrivance or a texture, even a machine, and you'll understand why it means machine or texture, uh, or an intention or a plan. The root word means to plait or weave or fabricate something. So in that day and time, a machine would be like, a, would be like a, a loom that something was woven together on. And that's the message that Jeremiah has given to these captives who find themselves carried away from everything that they knew and everything that they loved. Because of their sinful worship of idols. He would have thought God doesn't care anymore. And he said, no, wait a minute. God does have a plan. Just like something is woven together to make a rug or to make a fabric that's interwoven, God has a plan for you. I've used this illustration before, some of you will remember this, but when you do a needlework or, or a weaving sometimes, one side of it can look really good, the other side looks a little bit jumbled up and messy sometimes. Our problem is we're down here in this world seeing the jumble, messy up part. God sees it from his vantage point, and it's exactly as it ought to be. God has a plan. In the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of uh, of you feeling like you might be in exile in your own life because of your own circumstances, or in exile because of sin in your life, and where it's taking you in your life, you need to understand something. that God is a big enough God that He has a plan for your life, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. He's not forgotten you. He's not given up upon you. He says, I've got a plan for you. No, the plans that I have, and the word have is the repetition of the root word for plans. He said, I've got a plot. I've got something I've fabricated just for you, over you, says the self-existent everlasting God. I've got that plan, that that fabric that I'm weaving out in your life to bring about wholeness and peace in your life. I want to bring about safety, wellness, happiness, welfare, peace. I want you to be safe in mind and body in this state. I want to make you complete. I want to make you mature is what he's saying. I don't have evil or something bad that I have for you. I'm not trying to break you in pieces. I'm not putting you through this for no reason. Instead, I want to give you, and the word that he uses there means to give with the greatest latitude of application. In other words, God is saying, I want to really give you, listen to me, I really, really want to give you as big as I can a future and hope. I want to Take you back to the prosperity that you lost before. I want you, I want to take you back to that hind part. I want to restore you from where you've fallen, is what he's saying. I want to give you, give you hope. And that's kind of an interesting word also because it literally means a cord as an attachment. But when you think about the full meaning of the word cord is an attachment it was used figuratively for an expectancy a hope something long for the root word means to bind together by twisting or collecting something together here's a message i get from that word study i think god is saying no matter how bad your circumstances are no matter how many bad circumstances you're in you might be feeling like you're carried off in a bondage somewhere god is saying this i've got a cord of hope for you that you can wrap around all that and tie it all up together and it's going to be okay I've got something better in mind for you than what you you realize. See, God's plan is basically this, restoration. God's plan, even though they were in a mess, even though they had caused a mess by the worship of idols, and they're carried off into captivity. God has a plan for them. He wanted to restore them. God had a, a plan to bring them a future and a hope. God had a redemptive, a restorative plan. He had a purpose for them. Even in their captivity, God was going to use a situation like captivity for their good, for their benefit. And God has a plan of restoration for your life also. No matter how you've fallen or where you've fallen from, God has a plan of restoration. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you need to understand the plan of restoration God has for you is all bound up in Jesus. He's your hope. He died on the cross for you. And if you already know Him as Savior and yet you've allowed things to cause you to fall and you feel like you're trapped in circumstances and situations, you need to understand something. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose, a redemptive purpose in all that you're going through. God wants to bring about wholeness and goodness and a future hope in your life. God has a plan for your life, but there's a pathway That's also found in in Angie's passage of Scripture that gets you to God's plan. Verse 12, after he said, I know the plans that I have for you. he, He says this, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You will seek me and find me. And this is really Angie's primary verse. You'll seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore, remember a moment ago I told you that's his goal, restoration. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from whence I sent you into exile. Will you put yourself in their shoes for a moment, having lost everything that they've lost, being carried away in captivity in a foreign land, in a city called Babylon, and they hear God say, "I've not forgotten you. I've got a plan for your life. I've got wholeness and peace planned for your life. I want you to have a future and a hope." Listen to me, listen to me. I know you're away in Babylon, but listen to me. I'm going to restore you. You're going to call out to me. You're going to pray to me, and I'm going to hear you. I'm going to take you back where you were before. I'm going to restore what you've lost. What's the pathway to that? Number one, call upon the Lord. Call upon God. Then you'll call upon me. It's the idea of accosting someone, like you're trying to grab their attention. They're walking in a crowd. and You say, hey, like, hey you, you! I'm, I'm trying to get your attention. You need to call upon God with that type of attitude. God, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to grab hold of your attention. You already have it, but he wants you to have that attitude. You need to pray. Pray to God who, by the way, hears. Come and pray to me and I will hear you. Come intercede to me. Come and move toward me in in prayer. I'm going to hear you intelligently. I'm going to give you my attention. And you need to seek God with all your heart. You want a pathway to restoration in your life? Call upon Him. Pray to Him. He's listening for you to call upon Him. He knows where you are. He knows you're off in captivity. He knows the situation that you're in. He wants you to call and pray to him, and then he wants you to seek him with all your heart. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Search out by any method. Specifically, that was used in the Bible, this particular word, to talk about seeking out in worship or prayer or striving after. He's saying, seek me. And, and the way that word is used in the Hebrew is a personal pronoun that points out the object of a verb. The verb was seek. God's the object. That's you're to be seeking. You're to seek after him. Next slide. He said, when you do, you're going to find me. I'm going to appear. I'm going to be present. You'll realize I'm there with you, even in your captivity. When? When will you find him? When? It, it's a it's a word that talks about a, a causal relation or a consequence. Meaning this, you'll find God when you do this. When you seek, when you tread about, follow, or pursue Him. When you worship Him with all of your heart. Not part of it. Not part of it that you're giving to God and part of it you're giving to some idol. Not part of it that you're giving to God and part of it you're giving to some Sin or some aspect of the world that you're trying to attach yourself to. He he says, search for me, seek for me, and you'll find me when you seek for me with all of your heart, with every part of your heart, with the center of your being, with with all of your love, with all that you are, with the very center of who you are. Seek after God. He said, you'll find me when you search for me like that with all of your heart. And the fourth step is this, after you call and you pray and you seek him with all of your heart, you're serious about it. I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but I've seen some invitations happen before, sometimes at VBS where kids will come just because other kids come or, you know, other evangelistic things. I've seen people come down the, the aisle just laughing and, you know, maybe popping their chewing gum and things like, well, I'm, I'm just going to come down. I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe they're happy they're getting to come down. I'm sorry. But if you're being frivolous and you're coming down, and if you're not serious in your heart before God, you don't do any business to Him, I don't think. Do you? I I think when God smites you with conviction, it's like, oh, God, I need to get on my face before you. And when we have that type of attitude, when we find ourselves at the end of our ways, in some type of captivity, in some type of exile, If we'll call and pray and seek with all our hearts. He promises restoration. He said, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from whence I sent you into exile. That had an immediate application, but it also has a future application. And I don't have time to do all the word studies that are there. You can look through them while I finally finish. Talking to you, I will do one, the very last one there. It says, from the place I sent you. The the word in Hebrew literally means to to denude. you know what denude means? It means to make you naked. In other words, I have shamed you. I I sent you off into captivity and shamed you in your your nakedness. I've uncovered you in your idolatry and your sinfulness. Talk about those captives being stripped of all that they had and all that they were. He makes an immediate promise. He said, I'll bring you back. You, you call upon me, you pray, you seek for me with all of your heart, and I'm promising you there's a time I'm going to visit you and I'm going to take you back. It was going to be 70 years, but he's promising them, I'm going to take you back. I will take you back to where you were before. I will take you back to the place that you were fallen from. Even though you're there and you're ashamed and you're there and you're disgraced, I will take you back. There's an immediate application. He would take them back at the end of 70 years to Jerusalem. There are other future applications. One happened back in the 1940s when the nation of Israel became a nation for the first time. And Jews were brought together from across the world. He gathered them in. And in the light of current politics and in the light of current things in the news, I just feel compelled to tell you Israel is still God's people and we had best be on Israel's side because he promises to bless the ones that bless them and to curse the ones that curse him. And I suggest we stay on the right side of Israel. I never would have thought we would see marches in some of our major cities against Jerusalem and four terrorist organizations. Israel is still God's people. They've been gathered together as a nation. There is a future gathering that will take place one day, not just of Israel, but thank God of all of God's people. He will gather us together. He promises that we can experience restoration. He promises them hope, He promises them a future. So where are you today? Are you, are you in a place in your life to where you need hope maybe in your, in your life today? And are you serious about it? I mean, are, are you someone that maybe feels like, hey, because of choices I've made, I kind of feel like I'm in exile. I've lost a lot of my life. I kind of feel like I'm in captivity and stuff. Or, are you really interested in, in hope today? You see, if you are, I've got some really good news for you. God is still in the restoration business. God still restores broken lives. God still calls people to Himself. And He wants to do it so much, His Son suffered and died and bled His blood, God's blood on the cross. But through faith in Him, you can have everlasting life. You already know Him? Probably most of you do, but you know what? Regrettably, that doesn't shield us from making wrong choices. That doesn't shield us from finding ourselves in captivity or in exile, feeling like that in our hearts. Angie said sometimes she feels like she's in an exile of her own making. God's still in the restoration business. Amen. God desires wholeness in your life, not evil. God wants you to have a future, and a hope. Where you can take all the bad stuff and you can take that cord of hope, that faith in Him, and wrap all that bad stuff up and understand it's okay. If you're interested in in that, what you need to do is this. Whether a Christian or a non-Christian, it starts out with calling upon Him. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You need to call upon Him. You need to pray and say, I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. You need to seek Him. Take all your heart and say, I'm going to believe in Jesus and nothing else for my salvation. And God will restore you from your sin. Do you already know Him as a Savior? And you feel like you're in a bad circumstance? Kind of the same process. You're not being saved again. But you need to call out to Him and pray to Him because He's listening. And seek Him with all your heart and He'll restore you from the place you feel like you've fallen. Joshua challenged us to make a choice. Decide once and for all. Decide whether or not God is worthy to serve. Decide once and for all. Decide to serve God and then set an example in serving God. Me and my house, we're going to serve God. Jeremiah tells us this. It's not just your choice. The fact of the matter is this. God has a choice for you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Wholeness, a future, and hope. But you have to be honest with Him and call out to Him, pray to Him, grab His attention, pray to Him. Seek Him with all your heart, and He promises to restore you. Let's pray. Father, God, if there's someone here that's so distant from You because they've never met You, Their sin stands as a huge wall. Maybe like prison bars and they feel like they're in captivity. Show them that you do love them. You proved it by sending your son to die on the cross. Give them the faith that they need to right now call out to you. Pray and admit their sin. Trust in Jesus with all their heart. With all that they are. And find out that you're ready and willing to restore them. Or for others that may be, as believers, fallen. They've stepped off your pathway. They've made some wrong choices. And it's cost them some things. And right now, maybe they feel like they're off in bondage, off in captivity somewhere. They might even feel like you don't care anymore. God, show them that you do. That you desire wholeness and peace and a future and hope for their lives. If they'll just come to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think I prayed enough to establish what the invitation ought to be about today. If you don't know Him, you can. If you do know Him and you feel like you've fallen and you're in this hole somewhere in bondage, He wants to restore you. If you'll get serious with Him. If you'll call out and ask Him to do it, He wants to restore you. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.